so it's called I'm All Ears. Yep. Yeah, it's on now. Yep. Uh, testing out the sound. <laughs> the guest needs to do the heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a bit like what Josh Bell does. He asks you to tell... tell uh... Oh, okay, mate. None of my ideas are original. <laughs> Hey, it's Surlay here. This is our second last podcast that we recorded uh, prior to isolation. Uh, we had a great chat with Rowan Connolly, um, one of the best footy brains in the country. Um, you can check out everything related to Rowan at footyology.com.au. Um, so over to you, Goxie. Uh, hi, welcome back to another episode of I'm All Ears with me, Goxie. And me, Surlo. And today we have a very special guest. Uh, we are a f- huge fan of this bloke, journalist Rowan Connolly. Welcome, Rowan. How are you, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, oh, thanks very much. Doing pretty good. Yeah, stoked to have you, mate. Um, huge fans. Um, I'm originally from Brisbane, so I was, I was a little bit late to your work. But um, <laughs> no, because uh, the first part of my life was kind of uh, the typical northerner upbringing, rugby league yeah. and that. And then got into my footy late. And then um, I was had the whole like dreams of hitting the big smoke, heading to Melbourne. And I remember, like, being so excited about, like, 24-hour footy coverage, all that sort of thing. And it took a little while to get sick of it. I eventually <laughs> did. Well, not, I, not you. I was going to say, the novelty does wear off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when I first arrived, I, I'd be, I'd have, like, SEM playing in my, in my ears when I'm lying in bed and at any moment <laughs> to have it on. And then the first, um, the first moment where it was, like, Involving you that was like, I'm here, I'm part of this, was um, actually at the Community Cup in Elsterwick because it's obviously it's been in the north side for a few years now, but um, I'm not sure if it was the last or second last Elsterwick one, but yeah, yeah, I just thought that was really cool. Like a bloke like you can, doesn't mind to be in a footy and music and stuff, you know, because usually there's the whole like either one or the other pick a side sort of thing. Well, that, that, the Community Cup, I guess, is. Um, it's probably close to my heart. There's a, a connection there because the medal for best player on grounds named after my uh, late brother Steve, who was a muso. So yeah. um, I've been turning up to present that oh, every year since I think '97. Oh um, wow! Yeah. yeah, so it's a bit of a sort of family responsibility, yeah. and uh, I think um, he'd probably want me there to do it on his behalf. So, but it, you know, I, look, I love. I love music. I, I love yeah. music just as much as I love sport and, and football. So um, they're two, they're probably the two biggest constants in my life, really. Yeah. And and it's grown so much, and and it's for a great cause for charity too. Yeah. Yeah. So, how about you, sir? What what is your involvement with Roco? Um, I think definitely less listening to the radio and being in the truck at work and uh, listening to a bit of you on the talkback. So that has been been a fond memory of mine driving around. I had this job where I was driving this shitty van around, <laughs> so the radio kept me sane for a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, radio radio is great. Um, not doing as much of it as I'd like at the moment, to be honest. But um, you know, I, I started off in print and. Uh, that was always number one for me, but I started doing radio in '96, so I'd been I'd been working in newspapers 13 years, and and I sort of thought, oh, you know, this would be good, so I sort of managed to get involved with 3AW in '96, and pretty much done it ever since. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it, it wasn't so common then. Basically, when I, I mean I started in newspapers in '83, but basically you're a a newspaper person or a radio person or a TV person and 
Um, it started, you know, probably the first sort of forays into people doing more than one were mm. around the mid-90s and now it's, it's really commonplace. In fact, I always say to people now that if you want to get into journalism, and uh, boy, that's a tenuous um, thing to do these days, particularly uh, some dramatic news today about Australian Associated Press being shut down in June. There's yeah. huge ramifications to the media in that. But I, I say to people now, you can't afford just to focus on one, one area. So Because um, I guess it's not, it, you know, the days of having a career just in print or just in radio are gone. Well, right? well nothing, uh, I guess the, the mass sort of media model, um, those sort of media monoliths like, you know, the Herald Sun or the Age or Channel 9 or whatever, they've all got a lot smaller um, and there's a lot of niche media now and I I think, you know, I think sort of music's probably gone the same way that there aren't, you know, like say with music, when I grew up here you had uh, 3XY and Mm. Countdown and everyone watched Countdown, everyone listened to 3XY and... These days, it's possible for you know certain music acts to be huge without getting mainstream airplay because yeah. there's this whole other yeah. market out there of you know streaming services and things like that. And really, um, you know, other forms of media are going the same way. I mean, websites, podcasts, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> streaming services are, are reducing the numbers of people watching free to air and even pay TV. So. Um, like it, it's, I'd need two hours to explain how dramatically the media has changed in my lifetime. In it, that's for sure. You, you probably, um, you might not think about this, but us as comedians, we often talk about like the different feelings. Like, say, I've done a bit of acting, which is cool, but then you put it. You got to wait till it comes out to see the reaction. Whereas stand up is very immediate. You can hopefully hear that laughter if it happened. <laughs> but so I was just wondering about the, the different formats you've done. Do you, do you get different feelings from that? Like, say, really proud of a really good print piece or, or proud of a, a really good talkback listener? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a really good question, actually. Are you, um, are you proud to give away, uh, what, what is it, the, the hams, the Pataki? The It always makes me think of World of Sport, that Lou Richards coming in with that pack. Patch of orange juice and the uh, <laughs> Solway suits. And, yeah. Um, yeah, look, it, it is different. Um, I'd say in terms of sort of uh, deeper, longer-term satisfaction, probably print, or I shouldn't say print, written yeah, yeah. is um, probably still number one for me because I, I've always felt like more work goes yeah. into it. You yeah. know, like you might interview someone, then you've got to, pardon me, you've got to transcribe the quotes, you've got to write the piece um, and, you know, you've got to sort of make it flow and ma- and sort of get that information across to the reader and, and probably, um, you know, the work I'm proudest of when I think of that, I always really think of written stuff. But yeah. you're right, There's there's that's a, a deeper, longer-term thing. Um, radio particularly can give you a, a more immediate buzz that, that print doesn't offer or, sorry, written media doesn't offer. Um, TV, you know, I've done enough TV to know that um, it's a bit like radio, but there's an added element of, uh, or, you know, complication in that you've got to worry about how you're coming across visually, which Mm. isn't great for people like me, (laughs) but 
Um, yeah, so they all have their different levels of satisfaction. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, the common denominator, I reckon, is um, it's being able to extract from people information in an entertaining way that will interest people who perhaps aren't devotees. Yeah. <clears throat> and that applies to radio and TV as well. So where I guess I feel like the, the skills that I honed in newspapers became very handy in a radio sense in terms of interviewing yeah. people. You know, like I, I can certainly recall some radio interviews I've done that I, I'm pretty proud of. Um, and TV, it's probably different again. It's probably um, making things concise, punchy, um, you know, having a bit of a wow factor, I guess. Um, that probably has as much to do with the production of TV as what you're saying, and that's just sort of out of your control, really. But, yeah, they all have, um, they all have their satisfying elements, I think. So starting out in, in written media or print media, <coughs> how did that journey begin for you? Was that out of university or um, school? No, no, I, I came straight out of high school. So my father was a journalist, a career journalist, and he um, did a lot of things, actually. Uh, he wrote sport at one stage, wrote football. Um, he did a lot of production stuff, so he was a sub-editor and then a... A production editor, he'd been a features editor and a deputy editor of a paper and um, the last probably 20, 20 odd years of his career he ended up a film critic. So, <laughs> oh, wow. um, yeah, he sort of covered a lot of bases there and anyway, Dad, uh, when I was a little, from when I was a little kid, you know, I used to go, Dad used to work for the old Herald, the Evening Herald, which shared an office with the Sun News Pictorial, now the Herald Sun, and that office, for you younger listeners out there, is <laughs> what is now uh, the press club on the corner of Flinders uh, and Exhibition yep. Street. So, um, I, st- I uh, yeah, from a young age, I used to go into the office with Dad. He'd, like, we'd go to film previews and stuff like that. He'd have to write his review and we'd go back into the office and he'd sit there and type out his... Review and I'd sort of wander around, have a look around, and it <laughs> so was, it had a big effect on you. Oh, I was really intoxicated. Yeah, you know, it was a real buzz about it, and um, took over the family business. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, that, that I was interested in being a journalist from a very young age, and um, and the football obsession probably coincided with that as well. So yeah, I, I knew literally from the age of about seven, I wanted to be a sports journalist, and. Um, so I, I applied when I was doing my HSC, what's now the VCE, so this, that's in 82. Um, went through the interview process, uh, lucky enough to be selected as one of the uh, cadets to start. So mm-hmm. I started on the Sun News Pictorial, now the Herald Sun. Um, got onto sport pretty quickly because I, I made it known this is where I want to <laughs> yeah. be. And, and funnily enough, they weren't. When I got into sport, um, you know, a cadet journo was supposed to do various things like parliament, police rounds, um, courts, etc. You got to, it's like backyard cricket, you got you to feel before you can bat. So yeah. <laughs> well, I, I sort of took the bat and then never gave it back to anyone, you know, like I, I got into sport and I ended up staying there far longer than I was supposed to and um, did some sub editing there as well. and. Um, after almost five years, in late 87, the age 
um, approached me and made me a, a really good offer that the son couldn't match. Mm. And, and I was quite disappointed about that. I was quite happy. To, the son was a... Trust me, it was a very, very different newspaper to what the Herald Sun is these yeah. days. And um, anyway, I went to the age in 87 and uh, I was there until 2017. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That, that's a huge career at that one organisation. Like, Well, I, I was happy there. Um, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd say for 90% of my time there, it was, you know, it was a great working mm. environment. <clears throat> People had got on really well and... Um, but I, I can't sort of stress enough how different, and not just the age, in, in all newspapers and probably all workplaces, to be honest. You yeah. know, there was a, a great camaraderie that I don't think necessarily is the same strength now. There, people socialised a lot. Um, you know, it was sort of your life in a way, and, and I love that. And, you know, I, I love covering the footy. And I, I always felt, too, that the age gave you... Uh, probably a bit more latitude to uh, once you'd been around for a while there was, there was plenty of latitude to do what you wanted to do and to uh, and in later years to to their credit they gave me plenty of latitude in terms of how outspoken I became about other stuff mm, yeah Twitter, um, <laughs> which you are, you are a troll magnet. <laughs> well, now I think about it, to be honest, you know, there's so many times where. I probably contravened their social media policy, <laughs> but you know, there really was never an issue. So yeah. I'm very grateful to the age. I, it, it was a great place to work. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, because it's like talking about the changes <laughs> and stuff. In last few years, you've probably seen the the whole clickbait culture come in, where it's like trying to rile people up. You know that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's it's. It's depressing, to be honest. I mean, I, I used to have a lot of arguments, you know, good-natured arguments with people at the age about the direction mm. we were taking. And, and um, you know, I, I always felt like um, online they didn't have to sort of go for the clickbaity stuff, that mm. there are so many media outlets sort of running that sort of stuff now that surely there's a market for yeah. quality, you know, and... And a paper like, for instance, The Guardian, I feel that they've sort of filled the breach a bit that The Age, to some extent, has abandoned. I mean, not to say The Age has abandoned quality completely, but that became one of the frustrations. You know, you'd be working on a story that you're really proud of and thought was important or whatever, and it wouldn't get... It had run prominently in print but not necessarily online because someone online would think oh, it's not sexy enough yeah. you know? or you'd find it wedged between something about Miley Cyrus's <laughs> new pierced nipple and you know <laughs> Britney Spears flashes at the crowd or something you know? what frustrates me is is the <clears throat> the deliberate kind of stirring if you know what I mean like some of the I won't mention the name but I know some some of the, like the channels will put up a meme and it's like and they've had they had like um, you know who was your favourite number four and oh, and then they put an stuff, AFLW yeah. in so that everyone's like oh, yeah. AFLW yeah well, like, they they do it yeah it's been done because I, I know I know that then that guy is like gets told oh your meme got a lot of got a yeah. lot of attention yeah, like yeah, yeah. well I mean it's been sport has probably been one of the later subjects to fall victim to that you know like in terms of general news that's been going on forever I mean mm. you know stuff like oh look at there was one the other day was it 
today, one of those horrendous breakfast TV shows. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. saw like, you know, oh, some... they're they're terrible for it. You know, like one school will say, "Oh, don't kiss your grandma" or something, <laughs> and then they'll have. Is it wrong to ban yes, kissing grandmas? Yes. Like or, or the old, you know, banning Christmas. Yeah, and, yeah, that's it. Um, but I mean, those ones are almost a joke. But they do it, you know, they do it with far more serious subjects uh, as well. You know, like I was watching Media Watch last night and they were talking about the stuff going on with Bettina Arndt. And, yeah, um, that's annoying. You know, the fact that so many media outlets have been more than happy to use her as a a spokesperson and, you know, someone whose views, frankly, are, are, they're reprehensible and they're anti-social and they're, um, you know, and I've always felt like media organisations have a bit of a duty to be responsible and um, I guess this is a, a bigger picture view, I suppose, but like something like climate change, I mean... Were the, the climate change discussion, were this sort of 30 years ago, 40 years ago... I think newspapers would see it as their role to inform and educate people and, and bring them along, if you like. And, yeah. and newspapers once did sort of campaigning journalism like that really effectively with things like, well, the, the Sun News Pictorial famously had a thing about seatbelts, mm. declare war on, one, on 10.34. This was after the road toll in Victoria in 1970 was over a 1,000, believe it or not. And yeah. And they spearheaded the campaign for compulsory seatbelts and stuff like that. Whereas now, rather than... Used for good, not... <clears throat> yeah, not, yeah. Well, now, now they're dividing. Well, yeah. now, rather than say, you know, look, well, we, we need to inform, educate people, but we also think that can be commercially viable. Now it's like the opposite. It's like we're going to drag ourselves down to tap into people's fear and bigotry. And, yeah. And it just makes the situation worse. And, and this might, might, might sound sort of highfalutin, but I think in that regard, the media is helping sort of break down society and make us a dumber society. And yeah. it's, it's reprehensible. And they're still quite powerful because <clears throat> um, it's, not, well, it's not even confined to just comedy, but I was going to say in, in our scene you've got a lot of people who are like, I don't watch telly or, you know, mm. or, or paper, no one reads papers anymore, that sort of thing, but they are still quite powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I think people, uh, I mean, you know, my kids tend to be the same. They don't read papers necessarily, but people get their news through other sources um, and, you know, like, I always find it funny. I say, say to my son, you know, where do you get your news? And he says, oh, I see things on Facebook. I say, mm. well, what you're seeing on Facebook, where do you think that comes from? You know, it's coming from a news organisation. Um, but it's, yeah, the, the dumbing down of society per se I, I find, as I get older, quite depressing. Yeah, well, I guess you would have seen that change so much in your long career and the way media is delivered, I guess, it's almost <clears throat> been diluted because it's so fast-paced now we forget about the principles behind it. Yep, yep, and, and um, the desperation to attract new audiences you know mm. because the business model for media is crumbling yeah so they're desperate to get any new people they can and and they think well how can we appeal to them let's go the sort of cheap and, and nasty route you know mm. and this is happening across the board i mean without wanting to bang the afl over the head i mean this has been a bit of a bee in my bonnet you know they are now um sort of adopting a, a new media strategy if you like where they're specifically trying to cultivate a younger audience and 
uh, also an audience that isn't necessarily hardcore footy fans. Yeah. So how do you go about that? Well, I would argue that you can educate those people, bring them on board and get them to love the game in the same way that our generations love yeah. the game. But they don't. They don't sort of see the big picture. And so what happens is, and I had a, a rant about this on our Footyology podcast yesterday, um, they downgrade the value and importance of history um, and of helping sort of forge that emotional attachment people have yeah. to particular footy clubs and stuff. Yeah. So they cultivate what becomes a pretty shallow sort of following. Yeah. And I reckon... Personally, you know, I, I think we've all, we're already seeing an example of this with something like the Big Bash, right? Mm-hmm. So we've just had not we've only had nine seasons of the Big Bash, but already the novelty is well and truly worn off. Crowds yeah. are down, fewer people are viewing it. Why is that happening? Well, on one hand, you could say it's quite a, a shallow sort of product. You know, it's pretty one-dimensional T Twenty cricket. But I would also argue that it's because people aren't being instilled with a deeper love of the game. I mean, yeah. you don't, you know, kids will go along barrack for the Stars or the Renegades, but you don't see them in tears yeah. after they lose, we, do you, you know? We've, like, made jokes amongst mates, like, oh, fourth-generation Renegade, mate, you know, that sort yeah, of, like... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you do it sort of joking. But at the same yeah. time, like, everything <clears throat> does stop... Everything starts somewhere, like, yeah. I don't know. Well, I'll, I just think if you, if you if you sort of introduce people to... A sport or an interest or whatever in a meaningful way, yeah. it ensures that the more they become interested, the deeper are the ties that bind. So that when that sport falls upon hard times or the club they follow or whatever, mm. it's not easy just to go, I'll bugger it, I'll do something else. Mm. And I think that's a real danger and I think younger generations today do that with a lot of things and it means that... Uh, you know, even you know things like movies, music, whatever, followings for anything are more um, tenuous and Fleeing, and, 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 and yeah. they're transient. You know, people will sort of willingly throw their allegiances from one thing to another. Whereas, I mean, you know, uh, if you're a St Kilda supporter of my age or whatever, demons like Solo. <laughs> well, yeah, same same thing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, like St Kilda, for example, in the mid '80s, won three wooden spoons in a row. You mm. know. But their fans stuck. Yeah. You know? And would that happen? That was one of the things that drew me to them was the loyalty. You know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, no, they're an amazing club in their own way, you know. But, I mean, would that same... People give me grief. I've heard all these Saints jokes. And it's like, mate, do you think I picked them because of how great they were? Yeah, like, yeah. I could have... i got an uncle who's Hawthorne. I could have... You know. Yeah, no, exactly. But I, I, the point I'm making, I suppose, is, you know, if, if that was going on today rather than the mid-'80s, yeah. would the people stick and I, yeah. I tend to doubt it. Mm. No, I think that's a danger. I don't know how I ended up on that tangent, no. so sorry. No, I guess it's uh, when you, <clears throat> if you think about a club going through that adversity, if the fans don't stick with them, they're at risk of, you know, something folding or something like yep. that. Yep. Whereas, I mean, do, I wonder if you'd start to see more of that in the future if that's the way we're going. Oh, undoubtedly. And, and that's why I think, um, in a way, we're so lucky that the, the push for clubs to merge mm. was um, 25 years ago and not <laughs> now because, you know, you had, well, Fitzroy fans certainly fought to the death, mm. you know, but... Even North Melbourne fans uh, 13 years ago when they were trying to shunt them to the Gold Coast, you know, um, they thought it was a fight worth having, you know, like keep we want to keep our club the way it is. Mm. 
and I think as you weaken the strength of those ties, people have less resistance and less fight in them. I think one of my problems with, you know, online and people can comment so easily, I, I think a bit too much about things because, like, obviously footy fandom is passionate. People just say the first thing they think. But then people talk about that, like, um, people saying, like, oh, I hate when people make fun of, like, like memberships. You know when the membership <laughs> numbers get announced? Yeah. And then someone will go, oh, there's probably a lot of three-game ones and that. And that's where my kind of, like, punk background comes in because I'm like, don't shame people because they can't afford a, a full one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, then, well, I, I look, I've... I probably should have just said, yep, lol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, growing up as a... Oh, I'm an Essendon supporter. Growing up, barracking for the Bombers, you know, I had my childish hatreds of this club and that. But I guess... Yeah. As you get older, and when you get involved professionally, you know, like you develop so many relationships across all clubs that mm. um, I'd like to think most of my adult life I haven't been one for bagging <laughs> another club or whatever. Even you know, I'm sure Carlton fans probably beg to differ. But <laughs> I, I reckon some, the some funny of the, yeah. some of the best friends I've made in footy are from Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> the, the funny one I always see you cop is that like Vic Bias, Vic oh, Bias. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That uh, let me explain why that drives me insane because my parents were both from Perth mm. and um, they came here in the mid-50s and why? this is why I barracked for Essendon. My dad barracked for Perth who wore the same jumpers. Mm. When they came here, they moved to Essendon, a stone's throw from Windy Hill. So it was obvious. Now, when I was born, we lived over the other side of town, but that's why I barracked for Essendon. But uh, my mum was, was and still is, she's still with us, um, uh, very sort of anti-Victorian and all, <laughs> all the traditional sort of arguments they come up with. So she's a very devout West Coast supporter. So, I, you know, I, I've always had a strong sense of, yeah, look, there were times back in the old days, you know, when South Australian and WA football was treated badly and I understand why they were so wrapped about state of origin when they were beating up on Victoria. <laughs> yeah. But... As someone who's lived, you know, 95% of his life in Victoria, I recognise that we, we've we never been motivated the same way because we've always sort of been in a position of power. Yeah. But I'm very conscious of that thing about giving the non-Victorian sides a fair go. I've always, I like to think, been interested in their fortunes. <laughs> I was wrapped when West Coast won their yeah. first flag. You know, I've barracked for... Um, I, you know, barracked for probably barracked for Fremantle when they played against Hawthorne, you know, <laughs> seven years ago. So when I get that, oh, typical Victorian, yeah, it does. That really grinds my because <laughs> I know it's bullshit. Yeah, and it's funny because it's like, is obviously you got a comp with eighteen teams and ten of them are in Victoria. Of course, there's going to be a bit mm. of a like, yeah, and like you know, it's massive market here. You know, yeah, well, people cater to the markets, and obviously, and you know, I've never made any secret about that. I mean, if you're writing, throwing... I mean, and this would happen a bit, actually, at, at the age. You know, I'd throw up an idea, oh, gee, West Coast, uh, uh, and, you know, you could say people go, West Coast, you know, no one here gives a shit. Well, and I'd go, well, if the story's interesting enough, they will, you yeah. know. And I think those little things is what makes it interesting, you know, because, like, I'd never even been to Perth or Adelaide until, like, a few years ago when my comedy stuff started doing well and I toured there. Yeah. And I found it really interesting, the, the rivalries there, because it's oh, quite yeah. intense. Oh, it's, sure, particularly it's, it's, WA. Well, it's, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think Adelaide as well, the, yeah. the showdown. Well, it's not quite... It's the closest thing I think we have in Australia to that European style. It's not that bad. You know, yeah. you know, in, like, Glasgow where they've got, oh, you don't want to be in the wrong part of town yeah, with the wrong... I don't think there's... Yeah, but um, it's almost like that because yeah. you've got the kind of, like, the class thing going mm. on. Too, but I, I've always been... And, look, I'm, I'm a footy nut, always have been. Yeah. And, and um, I'm one thing I'm grateful for is that, like... You know, I've been interested enough in those other states to, when I've been, you know, I mean, it's sort of embarrassing in a way to say this. I mean, I, I used to go, I used to get the cold, footy cold turkey so bad in summer that I would start getting on YouTube and watching old South Australian and <laughs> WA grand finals. So I reckon my knowledge of the old waffle and sandfall is pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I got to the stage where, this is probably 20 years ago, I found a, a website that sold old South Australian videos and I ordered and paid a reasonable amount of money for a couple of old SANFL grand finals because they were <laughs> such fantastic games one of if anyone's listening who's vaguely interested one of them was 1973 a famous one where Glenelg won their first flag forever and Graham Corns took an absolute pisser of a mark to win <laughs> the game but it's a great game of footy and the other one is a famous game 1978 between Nord and Sturt and Sturt hadn't lost a game all year, dominated the grand final but kicked really badly. They were like 8-28 or something, <laughs> and Norwood came flying home the last quarter and pinched I, the flag. You know? I, I thought bad <laughs> kicking was invented by modern players, if you listen old, like... <laughs> well, hey, um, now I'm, I'm not this old, but Essendon... <laughs> Didn't mean you, mate. I just I mean, No, no, no. You know the blazer who pick and choose what they remember of the old no, game? I'm like. going to say I'm so glad I wasn't alive as an Essendon supporter in the late 40s because they played in uh, 46, 46 grand finals in a row for three wins, but two, they, they lost in 47 by a point to Carlton with Carlton kicking a goal in the last 40 seconds... <laughs> And the following year against Melbourne in the grand final, they drew. So <laughs> they drew, kicking seven goals, 27, Oof. and then lost the replay. Now, how's that for two? Yeah. You know, St Kilda talk about uh, a toe poke and a bounce of the ball, but Essendon, oh. 1.40 seconds left and 7.27 in a draw. Mate, That's rough. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about Saints, we at least we got some things brought in, you know, like we got the... The replay scrapped and then I reckon... So uh, I liked the replay. I, I was annoyed when they scrapped the replay. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so good for the Saints. And then I reckon on a year before uh, Hawkins hit the post, hit the I reckon post. they brought in the, the review because of that. Because Well, that's when... that No, you're right. That's it's When they started talking about it, I can remember... Um, the Monday after the game on AW interviewing Adrian Anderson when he was football uh, uh, football manager at the AFL. And that's really when the discussion started. Even then it took him quite a while to come up with it, didn't it? But yeah. Um, the, yeah, look, there was another incident in the 2011 grand final when Sherrod Wellingham, uh, I think, hit the post and that was given a goal. I mean, fortunately <laughs> it wasn't a, a game decider, but yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, you've seen a lot of games, mate. We're going to put the pressure on you. What do you, what do you reckon is the absolute best game you've seen live? I'm really, <laughs> I'm really glad you asked me that because um, I've just finished reading Tony Wilson's new book about the 1989 Grand Final. Mm. In fact, I'm writing a review of it. I'm halfway through. I'm going home to finish <laughs> it uh, for my own website. Um, 
a lot of people regard that as the great greatest game, and I certainly would put it up there for you know so many different things about that game. You know, Dermy yeah. getting poleaxed, Ablett kicking nine goals, Buddha Hocking running a mark. You know, Dipper playing the whole game with a punch of one. Incredibly high scoring, a goal of difference. You know, it's just. It, it, it seems was, like such a great era because it's almost like it was just before the whole like professionalism came in. And, yeah. But also, if you went back quite a bit before that, it, it probably hadn't. So they were starting to get like fast and strong. And, yeah. Oh, look, I would argue uh, absolutely. Um, I would. I reckon the greatest game I've ever seen, greatest game of football I've ever seen for a number of reasons, the standard, the stakes, the drama. Um, for me, it's the 1994 preliminary final between Geelong and North Melbourne. That's the one that, sorry, North fans, that's the one that <laughs> finishes with Lee Tudor's mongrel punt and Gary Ablett just holding up the hand and marking in the goal square and winning the game. I mean, that game, you, you won't beat that for drama, a preliminary yeah. final one after the siren. But yeah. that entire game was just a roller coaster. So, yeah. well, they say the prelims are often great yeah, games. games. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that one was just epic. Because everyone just desperate to try and get yeah, in that Yeah. Bit. Well, that North, North got off to a flyer and got almost five goals up. Geelong came back and then they got about five goals up and then North came back. And the last quarter was just, yeah, there weren't that many goals kicked, but it was just end to end. The pace of that game never let up. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm losing my voice. And um, the, to me, that is the absolute greatest game of footy ever played. And for me, that probably 93, 94 period is probably football at its absolute peak. For exactly what you said, the game had become professional, but... The defensive mechanisms hadn't become so yeah. strangulating of the game. Yeah. There was still a bit of freedom, you know. There was still plenty of one on ones. There was still plenty of high scores. So for me, that's probably the game that's absolutely yeah. Because uh, me, for me, growing up as a kid in Brizzy, like it wasn't <clears> a lot of footy on. It would just be like Saturday Arvo. But I remember the like, if you don't want to see the scores, look look away now. And the diesel comes on right on the tip of my tongue but, yeah. but I do remember I remember seeing like Ablett I didn't really know who it was but just this bloke with just like you know what he looks yeah, like yeah, it's just yeah. big muscly bloke with like frizzy whatever yeah, you were starting to get that wall to wall coverage then you know games across every time yeah. slot in the weekend and stuff but it wasn't it still wasn't quite the um, saturation coverage it is now there was still Room to breathe a bit, which yeah. I think sometimes now we lack. Yeah. Um, I guess your life has been football for so long. What have you done outside of that? Like you're a big music fan. <laughs> yeah. Like, how, what are you? What are you doing to like relax when you're not watching footy, or is it just so more footy? <laughs> so you in a mosh pit somewhere? Like, <laughs> well, I do. I, I, I tend. I do watch a, an inordinate amount of stuff on YouTube, old archival mm. stuff. I love footy history. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I'm as big on music as I am on, on footy And I, I grew up um, Even, like you know, like I said, my brother uh, So my brother played with Paul Kelly for about 10 years Paul Kelly and the Colour Girls, Paul Kelly and the Messengers um, And he had his own bands as well But even before he sort of was doing that We, we just, I don't know, we we're a very musically minded family My dad yeah. was into classical music My mum had this lifelong sort of affinity with 
um, Latin American culture, so we're always playing a lot of sort of flamenco music and stuff. <laughs> and I had an older brother and two older sisters, so they were listening to a lot of rock music, so I grew up with it. So I um, always remember the first rock song I ever heard when I was five years old, or the first one that really stuck in my memory was Turn Up Your Radio by the Master's Apprentices. Yeah, right. Classic track. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I got, the first band I really got into was Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yeah. So I had all their albums, and there were quite a few of them, um, by the time I was nine years old, and I was very proud of that. <laughs> I always remember in grade two, um, kids bringing stuff in for show and tell, and one day they asked us to bring in their favourite record and all those kids are bringing like Disney stories and stuff and yeah. I, I brought in Fortunate Son by Credence <laughs> and it was like I was the same mate my yeah. f- grade 7 my first ever CD I bought was Spiderbait I oh, had yeah. Big Apples because yeah. I remember do you remember the um, shops would have listening stations yeah, you could, yeah I, was, I remember being I still remember being in Big W put it on it wasn't actually that album but because they won the Hottest 100 yeah. Buy Me a Pony and the first chord is, is just like, it sounds cheesy, but yeah. And just like, it's a good song. But imagine being a little, like, I was like 12 or something. I'm yeah, like, what the hell what? is this? Yeah, this yeah. is so good. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to be a rock star. It's, um, I mean, again, <laughs> sort of going back to that era, um, but it wasn't just me. Like, my mates, we were all right into music, and we used to, we loved a lot of Australian bands. And I'm talking now about the early 80s, I guess. And we used to go and see. And there were so many good bands that were considered mainstream and so many good venues. You mm. could go and see really well-known bands two or three times a week, and we did. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I ended up... I would have seen Midnight Oil 40-odd times. Um, Hunters and Collectors probably 30-odd times. Um, Do you think the oil's shaped how you, you see the world a bit? Um, <laughs> no, I think those years were probably already there, but they, <laughs> they confirmed it a bit, I suppose. But um, who else do we go and see a lot? Um... I don't know why, but I, I, we were all heavily into Boom Crash Opera. We used to yeah. dance them all. And I did have... I've got a few skeletons in the closet. I did have a, <laughs> a bit of a synthesiser period there. We were, we were going Oh, to is see. there some good picks floating around yeah. out there? Well, I was, a, I was a big kids in the kitchen fan, but I always qualify that by saying only until they got popular and then they sold out <laughs> and overproduced their album and I went off it. But, um, yeah, Real Life and Pseudo Echo, I used to go and see them a bit, but... That whole scene was fantastic, and we we just loved um, music, and mm. uh, that you know uh, it's it's never left me, and I'm so grateful for that. I do I do find you know when you're talking about what what do you do outside of that, one thing the most effective pick me up I've found when I'm feeling down or depressed or whatever is inevitably music. Yeah, and uh, I've come to realise that. So if I'm feeling like shit these days. I'll just go straight to, you know, my. I usually listen to it on my computer, but I've that on my iPhone mm. um, and whack something on I like, and inevitably within five minutes, I'm, you know, banging my head. And <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm a pretty lazy music listener. I don't <clears throat> seek out much new stuff, but I love putting on, like, my favourite old albums and that, yeah. I think you get to a certain age and you, your, your thirst for hearing new stuff diminishes a bit. Mm. Oh, I don't know if it's that or there's just not much of the sort of stuff I like. My tastes are, are pretty heavy. They're mm. pretty, you know, I'd say hard rock probably and there's yeah. not that much hard rock around anymore. So um, I tend to stick with the the old um, 
the old favourites, you know, Rage Against the Machine are my favourite band. Mm. Having said all that... I love that. (laughs) I love that band. But having said that... I know I didn't do this deliberately, but I'm wearing, I'm wearing a church t-shirt, t-shirt. Yeah. standing here talking to you guys. I love the church, and no one would say they were here. And mm. um, doing the community cup, like that's what I found was great to see, like Timmy Rogers and Tex Perkins yeah, yeah. having a run around. Yeah, and, yeah. And and it's that same thing where it's like these these blows, they're good musos and that, and but they're into footy as well. Mate, so many, um, and you know when when. My brother Steve was alive and, you know, I was going to see him play and going backstage and stuff. So many of um, the people in the Australian music scene love their footy. They mm. absolutely love it. In fact, Paul Paul Kelly used to have, I don't know if he still does it, but he used to have a, a little group of people who'd <laughs> assemble down in Elwood somewhere for a kick of the footy every Sunday morning. You know, yeah. they, they love it. There's a, um, they usually have a gig grand final week where they get a band to play... From every team at uh, I think Gasso. Gasso. Well, they play their theme song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got asked one. I did, I couldn't because I'd moved to Ballarat. Yeah. So I couldn't get down, but I got asked to go along and sing the Saints. I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, whoever. I mean, apologies. I can't remember who it is, but I I was tweeting about that for whoever was coming yeah. along. Mm. Well, that's one of the things that attracted me to the Saints is they do have a lot of like musos. Fans and that. Yeah, well, I do. Well, Molly Meldrum, too. Yeah. yeah. The man who single-handedly tried to kill Australian rock music. <laughs> no, that's just a joke, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always saw Countdown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's not go there. I was a rock pig even as a kid, you know, and they never had the oils on and they never had my favourite rock bands on and he always was pushing stuff I didn't like, like John Paul Young. and you Yeah. Know. Well, so for, for me, it was the, the recovery era of oh, Saturday yeah. morning. Yeah. Like that was it. I wish I'd sort of known more about that show when it was on mm. because I've sort of seen a lot of stuff retrospectively. See, another of my favourite bands, The Mark of Cain, they yeah. were on recovery. Yeah. And, uh, well, and it was kind of a bizarre time where, I guess, you know, through that whole period, Australian music was doing really well. Yeah. And it was highlighted in this great program of, like, I don't know if I would listen to what I listen to now if it wasn't for that program. Yeah. And mm. I sort of wonder, you know, like you say, I guess people discover things differently now. The, AB, the ABC were great like that. And and prior to recovery, in like, and we're going back to, again to the early mid-'80s, but they used to have a show on Saturday mornings called um, Beatbox. Mm. And, it, that, and yeah. it basically it was um, – it didn't have a presenter as such. It was clips and whatever, but it was like Vox Pops. Mm. And, and mm. no one was doing it then. I mean, people go, oh, Vox Pops, everyone does that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they weren't then. And yet they used to get some incredible stuff. And then they'd play a lot of really good local music. And, in fact, um, Celibate Rifles, yeah. another great Australian band, yeah. I got into them purely off seeing some clips of them on Beatbox. Mm. And Damien was uh, big with the, with the sport as well, that too, yeah. Because yeah. um, I'm an American football fan. I, they used to – SPS would get him on to <laughs> open up the Super Bowl and that. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, this is pretty surreal. Got yeah, this yeah. It was, Aussie it, punk legend. Well, it's great the way they did that and there was sort of no questions asked about it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, um, and that's – there you go. I mean, underlining the importance of uh, – government-funded media, uh, you know, the ABC. And, you know, the ABC is a great organisation and it does a lot of great things and mm. it's consistently at the top when whenever they poll about most trusted media mm. organisations and yet still governments of a certain political persuasion <laughs> spend three-quarters of their lives trying to have it privatised or remove yeah. funding or, gee, that gives me the shits. I know, it's frustrating. Have, I guess... 
these days you're you know particularly on your Twitter you don't pull any punches with people um <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it, it you know, you're talking a bit about the, the age kind of giving you a bit of license back in the day. Has that ever affected your career at all or have you always found that you've been able to be quite vocal? Um, I suspect it might have more recently, to mm, be honest. Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking about that a bit. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, I... There's I, plenty of us that love it, mate. But yeah, uh, well, you don't pay the bills, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Get, get um, a GoFundMe going. No, look, I, it's funny you mention that. I, I've been thinking about it a bit more because, well, funnily enough, um, I, I've just picked up a few pieces of work in the last few weeks. So, uh, And, you know, our podcast is going all right and I'm still running the website. So I'm still optimistic, but... Um, it's getting harder to find work mm. and there's been a couple of times where I've sort of made some overtures to people and, and found I've been a bit surprised mm. by the response and I guess that's made me start thinking, well, I wonder if they have a view that I'm trouble or, yeah. you know, or I'm going to embarrass them or something like that. Now, you know, if push came to shove, um, I, I, Unfortunately, I don't want to, but if I had to sort of tone down my social media persona, I would, because mm. we all need to. I've had to do that, eat. mate, because these platforms have been great for me. Like, mm. I, I wouldn't be, like I said, almost close to living off comedy. <laughs> I'm not actually fully, but close. But I wouldn't without all these the platforms like Twitter, Facebook, and all that. Yeah. But this, like, I'm very, I can get really fired up and passionate, and it's just. <clears throat> There should be something that comes up saying, do you really want to... Because it's easier just to click. And I was like, you know, I, I get really upset by, like, racists and stuff. And mm. and I said something back to one and I get suspended by Twitter. Oh, fair And then I'm like, I can't use this thing now because I... So you have been suspended? Yeah, a couple of wow. times. Really? Yeah. And for, and for saying something to a racist, like... That's interesting because I... Yeah, I mean, I... I think, yeah, if you do, if it's certain words, though. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I didn't like... This like, saying this person was saying nasty things about the the last major stash I had was probably um, it was when the bushfire stuff was going on. It was uh, Joe Hildebrand. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, well, that's my <laughs> yeah. Too. But he um, he champed me, um, which was, <laughs> just pushed me over the edge. Yeah. But he also did, he did the champ and he did the. Um, but and, and I I didn't seek him out. Like someone tagged him into something I'd tweeted. And he came back with some smart-ass response and he, he sort of said, oh, you know, I've got no idea who you are or something. And so I came back. First of all, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> okay, first of all, mate, I don't give a flying fuck if you know who I am. Secondly, unfortunately, I do know who you are, probably the most rampantly vacuous egotist yeah. I've come across in my 37 years in the media industry. Anyway, I, I went to bed after I tweeted that and I got up the next day and I had about, like, 300 more followers <laughs> and someone the tweet have been yeah. wiped about hey but he's a, yeah. Yeah. Jo, Joe's your classic um, I'm going to be Mr Sensible Centre you know all yeah. the extremists on the left and right and look at me look how <laughs> rational I am and, yeah, cool. and and what do you do again Joe you sort of appear on a mid-morning program with a bunch yeah. of 60 old <laughs> women well um, the one I was always find myself caught up in is, is the whole the whole goods saga you know oh. I can't stand it just because it's they, yeah. they come along, these guys mm. are like, no, you can't tell me why I was why I was bullying. Like, yeah, they <laughs> rationalise their own reactions. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And also, it was because he was sliding in. Well, why, why don't people boo Sorrioli? Yeah, I hate I, that. I, <laughs> yeah, well, I've done the whole good thing. 
I think now three times, you know, when it happened, mm. then when the first doco came out and then the other week when the second one came out, although I have noticed, pleasingly, mm. I got very, after the one on the ABC the other weekend, I got very little blowback on that one. So mm. I think even some of the naysayers have sort of come to realise yeah. the whole thing was just disgraceful. You yeah. know, the lack of support that he was shown and, and people... And, you know, like I guess... I understand people saying, um, I don't know how, I want to say this carefully, I'm not one of those people who would say everyone who booed him is a racist. Yeah, yeah. What I would say is if you booed him after knowing the ramifications of that, that made you, um, I guess prepared to tolerate racism, mm. you know, or going along with it. Even mm. if you, you went along with, oh, I don't want to be told what to do. Well, okay, so what? You're being told what to do. Yeah. Is, so you join in the booing and by doing that you further make this guy feel like shit, you know? Yeah. Like is that is that worth doing? You yeah. know, and there's sort of people who will adopt a stance in order to spite, mm. which drives me insane. So, yeah, that, that was a... A red button one for me have, have too. Have you, I guess, seen the attitudes in footy towards, I guess, race and sexism stuff change a lot? In the, I guess it's still prevalent in some aspects, but oh no, absolutely among the playing fraternity. This is the great irony of it, right? So, mm. I think that that when racism in football sort of first became a hot button issue, and Nicky Winmar and um, I was there for that game, and yeah, the. Right. Michael Long thing on Anzac Day. Um, it was... Oh, the Winmar one was about crowds, but often it was about players. Mm. And I remember Tony Shaw, who I, I like dearly, but Shawry's attitudes then, and he, he says he's changed, you know. Mm. His attitude then was you could say anything to someone to get inside their head, you know, whether you meant it or not. Mm. Um, so players' attitudes probably needed to change. But having sort of embarked on that process, I think this is one thing the AFL has done brilliantly. The education is so good. There are so many Indigenous players and players of other ethnic backgrounds or religious faiths Mm. or, for all we know, perhaps sexual preference, you know, Mm. that I actually think the insiders, the playing fraternity, are... More, far more tolerant and inclusive and progressive in those things than society at large. Mm. So it's sort of like the fans that need to catch up. Yeah. And these guys, you know, you come into a club now, you, you're going to be sharing lockers with four or five Indigenous guys. Mm. You're going to be given welfare programs or, or you know, you're going to um, do, uh, you know, gender diversity, uh, diversity programs, all that sort of... And people roll their eyes about it. But I think it plays a valuable... Um, service in educating these young impressionable people so you know the 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 playing fraternity is as good as anyone on this stuff now um, unfortunately I think the fan base has a bit of catching up to do yeah. I think like you just well, you, got, you just hope that like oh, these you know when you look in history and you see people are on the if you look back they're on the wrong side you know wrong like, side of history if yeah. you, you see these photos of like say, like, segregation, it says, like, no coloureds on the bus. Or, so it's, like, these people now are going, like, oh, it's around for everything and all that yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah. You just hope... When's white man's round? Yeah, 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 like... <laughs> it's pathetic, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I mean, I, I find I do find that one 
the um, and it's quite scary sometimes when you you see you know poor old uh, Susie O'Brien and the Herald Sun. She's yeah. sort of the token progressive columnist, <laughs> and she'll write something um, you know that's not even that sort of uh, uh, you know extreme. Yeah. yeah, it's not even that progressive. And then you read, you know, and people say, don't read the comments. Well, I do. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the same. It's and you just shake your head. Well, I... I I'm, I'm bad with comment sections. Like, AFLW, people say, like, just, just let them. Just, but all these guys, like, oh, 20, 23 to 22 score. Like, it's yeah. like, who cares? It's well, just, my under-12 kid plays yeah. better sound than that. <laughs> and then it's like, my daughter last week had a first training session. And I was, like, so proud. I'm like, this is amazing. And Saints have a team now. We went to Moorabbin. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's, look, I've, I just pity these losers. You I'm, know? Big, I'm a big AFLW fan. Yeah. I've, I've, it's I've, just a different product. Yeah. If you go there yeah. expecting AFL, it's you not. You can't compare yeah, apples with oranges. My, yeah. my daughter played um, junior footy for about four years, and several were the girls she played with and against are now mm. at AFLW clubs. So I, what, I follow them and. Um, I've just, you know, it wasn't sort of a conscious thing, but I just end up watching it most weeks. And I actually think um, last weekend, in terms of standards, probably the best weekend we've had a women's footy. Mm. The, the standard is getting better so rapidly. And, and that it's only going to get better. It, yeah. Exactly, as they have access to decent yeah. facilities. Yeah. But just on that thing about the comments, um, I, I remember what it was now. It was um, the Bettina Arndt stuff. And... Um, on the same day that both sides of politics voted as one in the Senate that Bettina Arndt should be stripped of her Order of Australia because of her reprehensible comments yeah. about mm. that horrible murder in Brisbane yeah. and how he might have been pushed too far. Yeah. Um, so Susie O'Brien basically wrote that and it was what? You know, everyone across the, mm. the board was sort of echoing <laughs> politicians of both persuasions and then I jumped on the comments under that. And I counted them, and there were 120-odd... No, 107 comments, and, like, 62 or something of them were outraged that anyone would propose Bettina Arndt be stripped of that award. And I thought, that that isn't just, like, misogyny. or That is extremism. That's real yeah. men, men's rights activist-type stuff. And that... I tweeted something about it, and it, it was to the effect of... The Herald Sun has, has created a monster here because they've gone the low road in order to get as, as a readership they think is theirs and the, the ground's fertile, but they've created a monster in that a hardcore of their readership now is actually on the fringes of society and yeah. it's not reflecting your ordinary Australian. You know, yeah. And I think a lot of people in that place and a lot of people in prominent positions at News Corp realise that and they go, oh, shit. What do we do now? Because yeah. we've alienated anyone vaguely left of centre. Um, these people are our fans and they're all old mm. and they're not going to be around too much longer. So where the hell do we go then? I yeah. think I tweeted to you recently a reply. It was like, that. I think I just said something about that they're just sewing in their own sh- Like you see with Bolt where it's like, oh, did I just defend a pedophile? Oh, yeah. Because they're so in that hole. Yeah, but you know what? Like a lot of them... Uh, a lot of those columnists, like those News Corp columnists, they, yeah, Bolt, even Bolt to a degree, I think they know what they're doing and I, I don't think they are as hardcore as they present themselves. No. But that to me is even worse in a way yeah. because it's sort of like, are you prepared to wreak this much damage and, and cause this much division? 
to have merely a to further your career. Yeah. Yeah. And I can there's one very very good example of that, and it's probably best I don't talk about it because <laughs> it's got a personal edge to it. But there's someone, yeah, there's someone, uh, someone I had a relationship with who has chosen to go that route, and. Uh, <laughs> We'll just what guess a, that what one. What an absolutely stunning cliffhanger to live. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people know who I'm talking about, but you know, it's opportunism, and yeah. I hate that more than anything. I'd like to think, you know, like if nothing else, I'm passionate about stuff, but I, I, I like to think I have some fundamental right. principles, and Mate, I won't cross the line. You're an absolute legend. Like, no, I'm not. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's. Well, me and Sally love you, but uh, well, so if you want to job it, I'm all ears. It's very gratifying. <laughs> if you're you. uh, an internment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, thank you very Thanks much for so coming much, down mate. to the, uh, no, the Coopers Inn. Good, good I really do mean that because, like I said, uh, I'm, I'm a late coming to footy and uh, finding out about guys like you who fly the flag for... What? Us, us punks. Yeah, <laughs> footy punks. Yeah. Well, we've clearly got a lot in common. We love footy, we love music. Yeah. I love comedy, so uh, yeah, any anything I can help you guys with, don't hesitate. Thanks uh, so much, we appreciate it. Oh, i just got to plug Footyology. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so, gonna, so, okay, so Footyology podcast, which I do with Mark Fine. Uh, we've been doing a summer edition. Another is, mad Saints man. Uh, yeah, he's mad. Well, mad and a Saint. <laughs> yeah. There's um, only one type, right? <laughs> Oh, he's hardcore. Um, we've been doing that, yeah, this is our fifth year now, but um, we, we, the podcast's going really well. We've done a summer edition, which has been great fun, and mm. we've talked about music and movies and TV and stuff. The the footy uh, version of it, this will sort of go back to two a week once the season starts, but... Um, yeah, tune in. You can get it at all good uh, podcast platforms. <laughs> uh, Acast is our official... After you listen to I'm All Ears. ...provider <laughs> now. We'll, we'll, we'll make that a double. We'll cross-promote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and footyology.com.au is the website where uh, you can read uh, hopefully some quality football content. And if you want to help him fight trolls, twitter.com. Yeah, uh, yeah at Rowan underscore Connolly. Um, and hopefully I won't end up telling you to FRO. Like, like I tell a lot of people. Oh, thanks so much, mate. We uh, appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, thanks again, Rowan. And, uh, yeah, that's another episode of I'm All Ears. Thanks, Goxie. Thanks, Sarah. Cheers. <laughs>